You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Caitlin, Patrick, Towner, good morning. We're back for another edition. And I know everybody thinks the world is completely screwed up right now. We've got COVID. We've got dysfunction in Washington that we'll talk about. But the New York Yankees appear headed back to the playoffs. It's a little, I don't want to jinx it, but they're looking good. And Mark is back in his hole. So, Howard, Howard, that's something that unites the country the other way, by the way. <laughs> the, Yankees. the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the <laughs> it's like the Dallas Cowboys. Exactly. And I get it, the evil <laughs> empire, blah 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 blah. But my world is is back on its axis because the Yankees appear headed to the playoffs, and Mark is back in his hole. So no <laughs> and, Mark. And today. other in other baseball related news, the Republicans won the congressional baseball game this yeah, week. Yeah, oh, wow. that's right. In the first time, thriller in a thriller. Tell and us you, about it, Towner. A real home run. Greg Stubbe, Republican member from uh, from Central Florida, Orlando area, was the starting pitcher for the Republicans and hit a solo shot out of a major league ballpark. So Very are they cool. calling him Otani now? It, he's basically Otani at this point. I mean, he's I like mean, the amateur version of Otani. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Patrick, before we get to the... Uh, the 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 news of the week, which is of which is significant, um, you had um, the opportunity to attend the memorial service of Susan By this week, the uh, wife of our our former colleague Evan By, Senator and Governor Evan By. Uh, tell tell us about about that. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful service. It happened actually the same day as the congressional baseball game. So, you know, in today's Washington, there's not many types of events that bring members of both sides together. But uh, to Towner's point, it was really nice. Uh, I always love the visual of that game. And then, you know, for a much sadder and more somber occasion, uh, there was a funeral at, at National Cathedral for former Indiana First Lady Susan Bai. Uh, she passed away in February, but because of, uh, because of COVID, uh, they wanted to wait and have a, a proper ceremony. There'll be another one on Saturday in Indianapolis um, for people back there. But it was just a beautiful, beautiful uh, ceremony. Just a couple words on it. Uh, Senator By noted in his eulogy that uh, it, he was standing in the same place that uh, President Carter spoke at his mother's funeral when she uh, passed away early in life from, from cancer. And a, a young Senator Biden had attended that funeral. Um, and then he also noted that that was where he had gotten married, uh, I think 34 years earlier. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, the, the sad event of, of his wife's funeral. Both boys were in their military uniforms, gave beautiful tributes to their mother. Uh, and it was a really striking scene, uh, seeing uh, former presidents, our current president, uh, about 50 United States senators who all took a, a bus up from the Capitol together to attend the funeral. Um, and it was just an, an absolute. And the former vice president. And the former vice president, uh, Mike Pence, was there as well with, with his brother, Congressman Pence. Um, and you had uh, President Clinton, uh, former Secretary Clinton, uh, and President Biden attended and gave a, a beautiful eulogy for those on our program who 
who might not know his son, Bo, uh, died of, of glioblastoma, the same cancer that, that Susan Bai passed away from. So it was just a beautiful tribute. And Senator Bai took a moment to recognize uh, the fact that events like that do show uh, that the men and women who serve in Washington can rise above political party uh, and come together to to talk about a life well lived and and values that that I think all Americans can can look up to and respect. So it was it was a beautiful event. My heart aches for Senator By and the boys, but it was uh, it was a really really special uh, special scene. Yeah, well, they've been through a lot, and she fought like hell um, for a long time, and and um, you know had a rough road, but we're it's nice that. Um, they were able to celebrate her life like that. And uh, we're thinking of the whole family and it's a good transition, I guess, to <laughs> where forget about Washington, not being able to come together. Um, the, the democratic party is really what can't come, come together um, because this, this isn't a, a Republican um, negotiation that's going on, but let's, let's break down uh Towner, what's going on, what the state of play is, what the moving parts are, and uh, and talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, the House is, is still in session. Uh, it's still in the session day of Thursday. Uh, the House uh, can bend time. Uh, they decide when days end uh, and begin and uh, have decided that uh, they would keep the House open all night long last night uh, because we were supposed to have a vote on the bipartisan uh, infrastructure proposal that had passed the Senate uh, with uh, 69 votes, uh, 19 Republicans, Senate Republicans voting in favor. This was the uh, Gang of Ten uh, agreement that uh, had been reached much earlier this summer on how to fund highway programs, broadband development, ports, and and uh, railway transit, uh, the the hard infrastructure. Uh, that uh, that Republicans generally celebrate uh, a little bit more uh, than the social infrastructure that Democrats have been pushing in the reconciliation package. And so um, moderates had made a deal, moderate Democrats in the House had made a deal uh, with Speaker Pelosi earlier uh, this, this summer uh, to lock in a vote. Uh, and that had taken place at the beginning of September, and they had decided September 27th, that's when we're locking in the vote. Uh, so they debated it on September 27th, Monday, uh, this past Monday, but they delayed the vote until Thursday. Um, and the vote didn't happen. 17 hours of session yesterday. Uh, and besides voting on a CR, which is great, they passed a CR to keep the government open and funded. They yes. still haven't voted on the bipartisan bill. Uh, sorry, go ahead. So four moving parts. Annual appropriations, and on that, Congress punted into December. The reconciliation bill, which is the Democratic-only package of, I don't even know what to call it anymore because we were calling it human infrastructure, but it's it, it's climate as well. So, um, so we have that. We have the debt ceiling, which is not what folks are talking about today. And then we have the bipartisan infrastructure package. Um, and, and so they, they dealt, they took the immediate emergency off the table, no government shutdown. Yep. And now it's, they're trying, they seem to be trying to put together some combination 
some package that includes a framework for the reconciliation bill and bipartisan infrastructure, which is already negotiated. Yeah, bipartisan infrastructure is already negotiated. They are trying because the progressives aren't going to support the bipartisan infrastructure plan unless the reconciliation plan that, you know, social infrastructure um, uh, plan is finalized And Manchin and Sinema uh, in the Senate and moderate Democrats in the House are not uh, big fans of that potential uh, proposal. So everybody's back at the negotiating table. The White House is now fully involved. They are knee deep in these negotiations right now. And uh, negotiations continued until about midnight last night. No deal was reached. Uh, And so we continue on this morning. Yeah. And and Kate, I was just going to go to Caitlin for a second because yesterday, uh, I think it was Politico broke a um, story about Manchin Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer, Majority Leader Schumer, agreeing on a one-page document back in the summer. July 28th. I mean, maybe agreeing on is too strong, but Manchin put in front of Schumer a document saying, here's what I will vote for, $1.5 trillion um, uh, in various component <clears throat> parts. And Schumer signed the document. What do you make of that? Look, you're absolutely right. And I think for our audience, you know, we're, we're talking about the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure plan and the $3.5 trillion Build Back Better <laughs> reconciliation plan. And I feel like we're, we're sort of losing the details and, and with, with the trees here. And um, yes, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Manchin has been writing no. op-eds and speaking all summer about how he will not support a $3.5 trillion deal. What I guess was a bit more um, newsworthy yesterday was that Schumer had, had seen this. There are a couple of, of um, contingencies in here. He wanted means testing for these programs. Take tuition-free community college, for example. He doesn't believe that should be blanket across the board. We need means testing for some of these social programs in the bill. He did not want to start debate until October 1st, and he will not go above a $1.5 trillion bill. This kind of hit like like the bomb yesterday with, um, you know, with the news, and there was a press gaggle of 50 plus people surrounding him outside of the Capitol yesterday. But again, for people that have been listening to him for the past several months, this should not come as breaking news. (laughs) It to me, no, it's it's not. Well, there was one thing in the document that I just found. I'm just going to say it foolish, which was that the Fed would end quantitative easing, as if <laughs> Congress has any control over that whatsoever, unless they want to take away, legislate away, the power of the Federal Reserve to save the global financial system or save the economy. Um, do what it needs to do to to prop up the economy in tough times. It, I, that made no sense to me. It makes no sense. And why uh, Schumer would have put his name on this document, I just found it incredibly odd. And like, believe me, I drafted my fair share of desk drawer documents back when I was in government. But you really, I mean, they're they're for break the glass kind of moment. Um, This was just a strange way to negotiate. 
towner. This doesn't happen on Capitol Hill. This is the strangest, no. possibly one of the strangest things I've seen in the 21 years I've I've had. That it was go. my reaction to it. Yeah. yeah. Members of Congress don't sign contracts saying what they're going to agree to vote for or not vote for. Um, and certainly, even if a senator or House member wrote down principles that they would agree to, they never give it to their party's leadership to also sign. Uh, so they're all in agreement on this. And and but the, the key here is that Manchin is essentially handing this document out to members and senators because the Democratic Party is raking him over the coals for not going along with the $3.5 trillion. And so he felt the need uh, over the last 24 hours to come out and say, well, I signed a contract with Senator Schumer over what I would agree to. And here's the document, everybody. Uh, and it's it's dropped like a bombshell uh, yesterday morning uh, when Politico released it. It dropped like a bombshell in uh, in D.C. because now the progressives are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. This totally does away with our three point five trillion dollar package. Where, where do we get back to three point five trillion? And and it's not feasible. Uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to explain to them how this was always going to end. There's poor, right, the poor progressives. Right. They just they don't. The, the only reason <clears throat> this is newsworthy, in addition to being funny, uh, I'm I'm sure Schumer signed it in somewhat jest. And you can see his comment uh, below that. Uh, I'm sure this was at the time more humorous to him than anything else. I don't think he thought Manchin was going to uh, give it to everyone in the caucus. But this is the whole when we talk about uh, what House Democrats want here, which is this whole pre-conferencing notion. Typically, what what would happen here is the House is trying to exert more influence from individual senators on what this package is going to look like than they're willing to give up. And so the fact that the House Democrats are demanding agreement on what individual senators will agree to is why this is causing a problem, because typically the House would pass a larger reconciliation bill, it would go over to the Senate, and Schumer would find a way to skim it down to whatever is manageable for his moderates, and then the House would have to accept whatever they send back over. But this coupling of the bills, this is what I want to go back to, right. the, the first part, Monday morning quarterbacking for sure. I always wonder... If and, you know, voting for impeachment is something you can't do in 24 hours. But if you had held the vote in the House and Senate on impeachment, if you had just the fastest possible vote you can imagine right after January 6th, before you give any time for the opposition to kind of, you know, coalesce, how many votes would it have gotten? I sort of wonder the same thing with the bipartisan infrastructure package. If they had voted the next day after it just got 69 votes in the Senate, you're still going to have some progressives who don't vote for it, but I think you would have gotten the Republicans that Pelosi was searching for last night and couldn't get because McCarthy and the Republican whip operation, all the outside groups have said, you can't vote for this. I think if they had done it right away after the Senate voted on it, I, I bet they would have gotten, Towner, Kate, when you tell me, I think they would have gotten a decent amount of Republican votes, and I don't think that's going to be the case now. Well, so Patrick, think, of course they would have. We wouldn't have spent the past month talking about how this is part of the larger mm -hmm. bill. Why would Republicans vote for? I completely agree with you. If this bill was the same bill, this $1.2 hard infrastructure bill was something that was cobbled together in a bipartisan way under the Trump administration, they would have passed it. They would Trump would have signed it, probably had a big old signing ceremony and said he fixed infrastructure. But we've been hearing this narrative over the past 
several months about how this is part of this bigger build back better agenda and this bigger reconciliation package. And I understand the frustration from, you know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the National Association of Manufacturers, others that are really pushing moderate Republicans to vote for this bill. But I also understand that if, if I was sitting here as a moderate Republican, realizing that this is part of a larger agenda. That's how it's been messaged by the White House. That's how it's been messaged by the Democrats. It's a tough vote. And it's it's just the reality of, of the situation. And I think you're absolutely right. Had they kept it separate, not had these two bills linked, I think the outcome might have been a little different. Well, they are, so they are separate. I mean, they are separate. It's just being held as a hostage on the other package. I mean, t- take out the messaging and whatever else they're having to do. Caitlin, you're right. I mean, I I think it would have been easier to get moderate Republicans to vote for it if you had just done it right afterwards and leadership felt like they couldn't. But I think the vote counting is proving problematic because when you have a three vote uh, majority, there's nowhere to go to get votes. Right, Towner? I mean, you're like an expert in this. I mean, she's the best vote counter in Congress. And I, I don't know where she goes that she's just kind of trapped because Republicans aren't going to come over to make up for the whatever it is, 17 to 22 Democrats at the at a minimum, probably upwards of 30 who are going to bail. Yeah. So I just don't know where she goes to get the votes. That's why now they're having to agree on this top line number when really I wonder if it would have been easier to get to to the majority if they had just gotten some Republican support at the very beginning. You know, progressives would have whined and crowed. But you know what? We would have gone on to reconciliation. They would have started the process and it would have ended up at the same number, probably that whatever they'll end up passing because of the same mansion cinema dynamics we're dealing with right now. So it wouldn't have had any any change in in what ultimately had happened. Towner. That's right. They're, they are. But in, in Caitlin's right, too, they are totally linked now. Uh, you, the negotiations that have happened over the course of the last week, you can't separate these bills. And for Republicans agreeing to one piece means agreeing to the other piece because that's the only way the Democrats get the full amount of votes that they need to pass it in both the House and in the Senate. So they have no no option but to be the, the opposition party in this case. Plus, you know, the one thing that I'll mention here is, look, the, the bipartisan infrastructure package, this this one point two trillion in hard infrastructure that, that we all agree would have passed probably the House with a significant number of Republican votes if it had just been voted on immediately after now is mired uh, in, in, in chaos because Republicans in the House were never brought into the process in the beginning. It was just the Senate. Sounds like uh, the dogs are very upset about this. They're very upset. The negotiations are not going well. Um, well, you know, keep them, keep them under control there. Um, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, what if they never really wanted the Republican votes, though? What if they want to make a statement to the American people? Like, we all think this is going to pass at the end of the day. I mean, well, it's going to. But why have a bipartisan infrastructure package then? I mean, that, that right. the, they they did it in the, the set that the senators negotiated in good faith, I think, for that reason. I really I, it's hard to to go against. To, I mean, like everyone's been saying, we said on this podcast, I, I think the speaker is an, uh, a brilliant legislative strategist. I think Leader McConnell's a brilliant legislative strategist. It feels like they screwed up. A little on the strategy here, uh-huh. and it would rather than 
if I'm trying to think of, and, and again, the math in the House is different. I remember that immigration bill passed the Senate with whatever it was, 78 votes a few years ago. And, you know, obviously Republicans had the House majority, but they weren't going to get that thing passed in the House. I know the House math is different. And I don't know how many Republicans were gettable on it, even if they had voted the next day in the House. But I would rather go after those members than trying to get, you know, Jay Paul and, and AOC and all these folks to come back on board. I mean, these it's just that is going to be really tough. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, think about back to the beginning of the year and and what's transpired. We've gotten a, a trillion dollar covid <laughs> package. We've got a one point two billion trillion dollar infrastructure package. If you could tell progressives at the beginning of the year that they'd have those packages and a one point five to two trillion dollar human infrastructure package, it'd take that all day long. Right. And Senator Manchin made that exact point yesterday about the money that's already been spent this year. And that is a progressive dream, those amounts of money. One point two trillion is not a compromise. Right. But he said in the old days. He's you know, Manchin's comments yesterday, I mean, I I think he was totally, he said, I'm not a progressive. I don't know what to tell you guys. There isn't a, magre- a progressive majority in Congress. And if they end up getting this through, which I, I still just feel like because it's the first two years of a Democratic presidency, it's still, it's just sort of impossible for me to imagine them not getting uh, the bipartisan plan passed and something on reconciliation through. Um, they're going to. They're going to. It's just like the laws of nature. But I think um, I think it was punchable <clears throat> news that that I'll quote earlier this week that said you can't have New Deal policies without New Deal majorities. When well Democrats said. controlled two thirds <clears throat> of Congress back in the uh, back in the olden days, and and were able to pass the the social policy that they wanted. Progressives want for dessert like an ice cream sundae, and Joe Manchin saying I'm just going to have fruit for dessert. And what you're ultimately going to get is like fruit. Sorbet. With, yeah, you're going to get fruit <laughs> with like some vanilla yogurt or something. You know, I mean, that it's could just, be the best analogy for what's but, happening right now. Connor, I'll tell you what I like thought about this last night. I was like, I got to get some analogy on this. But I thought about it. It's still dessert. It's still like Manchin saying I'd be fine not having dessert. But if I have to have something, I'm going to get fruit. Uh, but that it's still more. That's why. Ultimately, progressives are just going to have to eat whatever they agree to because more is more. They're going to get It's not transformational the way progressives want it to be. They want six to 10 trillion. They want to thoroughly change the way government interacts with the people. Uh, And that's just not going to happen in in a three vote majority in the House and a 50 50 Senate. Well, that's going to happen she, in a House seat in Congress. They should go start a, you know, start a business in Silicon Valley or something if they want transformational change. It's not going to happen from what they're doing. Well, I would say shame on Speaker Pelosi for not realizing and not pushing back sooner on the progressives. I think back to the Speaker Boehner days when he was dealing with the rowdy House Freedom Caucus, and he had to kind of put them in their place. Obviously, they came for his leadership position go? later down how, the yeah, line. How did, how did but, that work But out? he didn't cede to them. And I feel like Speaker Pelosi has emboldened this progressive block in such a way that they're essentially taking this entire package hostage. He got rolled by the crazies and every day he got rolled by how big guys. was the freedom caucus oh gosh uh, thir- 30 40 at its max 40, 40 right. at its max there are 90 members of the house progressive caucus so 
a bigger block. Yeah, yeah, that's twice. that's where yeah, this is that's this where is my bad. house math is outdated, right, yeah. Connor? Because like when we worked on the hill, there was like ninety blue dogs and probably two dozen progressive members. It's the it's the opposite now. It's like it's it's so different. This you is know. like olden days, though. You had the Republican Policy Committee, uh, study committee, that was then every Republican joined because it was just good to do it because you'd shore up your, your Republican credentials. Then the Freedom Caucus broke off and said, we are even more conservative than these all these other conservatives. And I think that's the next iteration for the progressives is we're going to see, you know, we already know about the squad, but we're going to see a formalized group of really actually progressives. Can we all so, name that group and then see what who comes up with the funniest name? Full on socialists. So <laughs> the uh, the tweet of the night last night was from Stephen Colbert. In 2022, it's possible the Democrats could take back control of the Senate, which was, uh, I thought that was hilarious. Um, but I mean, l- let me ask this. Does it really, does it matter at the end of the day? Does it matter that... Like we all think, unless one of you wants to disagree, that at the end of the day, they're going to get to a package. They're going to pass bipartisan infrastructure. They're going to fix the debt ceiling. We're going to have an appropriations bill. And there's going to be some very, very expensive, but slimmed down uh, reconciliation package, human infrastructure package. So I think for Biden, it matters because I think the progressives are upset and they're going to be very upset that they did not realize the transformational goals that they wanted to have. This is a big this is a big loss for the left wing uh, of the Democratic Party to a certain degree. But again, recall back to our podcast, right? And I know, Tanner, this is before you joined us right after the election. And we talked about how this past election was not a, you know, a vote in support of the Biden agenda. It was a vote against Trump. It was a vote to return to normalcy. It was a vote for someone that we knew was a former senator, deal maker, negotiator. So you can't expect that we're going to get these, you know, blank check progressive priorities passed and the margins yield that out. Why is that bad for Biden? Because he's not a progressive. I mean, he's a, he's a, progressive institutionalist, but he's not a Jayapal, Jayapal, sorry, AOC Democrat. I mean, not even close. Bernie Sanders. Yes, now. Well, it's why he stayed out of it, too. I mean, he's having to get involved now, but he he sort of wanted Congress to work this out themselves, right? Because he doesn't want to come in and play the heavy on either side uh, within the caucus, but now he's realizing he has to get involved. I mean, if at the end of the day, a package emerges that has those component parts, does it matter that there's all this dysfunction on the way to passage? No, no. And I would point out, actually, our colleague Alex brought this up. We were talking earlier this week. She was talking about the Republican effort to repeal Obamacare at the beginning of 2017. It's not that different in terms of you have a new president majorities of their own party, but slimmer majorities than existed the last Congress, right? Like after 2016, Republicans, main, to, to the surprise of many, maintained their majorities, but it was tighter. Uh, and they had a new president who'd won in a close election. Like the politics are not that different. It's just the Democrats are in control. Uh, this time the Republicans are in control, but the Republicans came in. We're going to do all of this stuff. And then slowly expectations got brought into kind of, they kind of understood there's only so much you can do. 
uh, when you have majorities that slim. But you just it's hard when you're coming off a high of winning and the Democrats, it was an extra high because they didn't even find out until those Georgia elections. So then it it's like everything seemed possible. But, you know, slowly but surely, you kind of realize there's limitations to what you can do. And I think that's. And and in that instance, I was thinking about that yesterday. We had a maverick senator, Senator John McCain, a Republican who shocked everyone by voting against ACA repeal. And and Manchin gets all of. We don't have just one maverick Democratic senator. We've got Manchin. We've got Cinema. I think we've got a handful of more moderate Democratic senators that love the fact that Manchin and Cinema get all of the spotlight. But there are a lot of. Sen- I, I think there's more than just one that is willing to buck the party, buck the system, and and vote pragmatically based on how his constituents would like him to vote. Yeah, I mean, that is how people vote at the end of the day. And by the way, the Democrats underperformed last year, you know, in the congressional elections. Um, they The only place they didn't underperform was the top of the ticket. Uh, but they they underperformed overall. In, in the election in, in November 2020. So, and this is the result. They don't have as much control of Congress as, as they'd like. And that that's okay. And by the exactly. way, West Virginia votes Republican 65% clip. So they're dang lucky that Manchin's in Senate. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, having worked for a red state Democratic senator, I mean, I listen, uh, and Mark's going to get mad at me because I'm not doing a very good job of... Uh, you know, speaking the the left talking points. But I mean, I, I just, these members on the left to win primaries in urban districts and have never had a competitive election in their lives have no idea what it takes for someone like Joe Manchin to get elected in West Virginia. They'll never understand it. They have no clue. And, you know, so Manchin gets to make all of these decisions. It's, it's, it's well-earned. I mean, they're the ones who have to go back to their electorates and try to sell this stuff. I can guarantee you whatever AOC brings back to her district, at the end of the day, they're going to be fine with it. I mean, it's like I said, it's more. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Trillions of dollars, right? I, I mean, mean, it's just insane <laughs> how we now throw around the T word. T word. You know, with like, like it's nothing. Well, I think that's that's something that was coming up a lot this week is there's a concern. The American people don't even know what's in some of these packages. And we need as a better, we need a better messaging strategy, even with this infrastructure package. What's in it? How is it going to impact your constituents? How is it going to, you know, make make your town better, your bridges stronger, instead of throwing around these big numbers that are just mind-boggling for people? And I don't think the American people even really care about the number they just want they want a robust economy i mean i think they they don't want it to be too big but when you start talking about trillions of dollars who can like it's monopoly money who can really even process what it what it means like i think this is about um more about the policy than it is about the the dollars actually But Howard, what they are processing right now is higher gas prices, higher grocery prices, less of their paycheck that they're taking home. You know, the the ability to not be able to buy holiday gifts because things are selling out off the shelves. And I think those are the issues that sometimes get lost inside the Beltway, realizing that they are concerned about the trillions that are being thrown around in Washington as they have the highest gas prices in 10 years. 
It is, uh, it, there, there is, there are a lot of conflicting forces out there because the economy is, is still strong. Um, yeah, it is. Um, but, but yeah, Caitlin, I think that's a, they care about the real world. Christmas gifts under the tree and December 25th. And um, like you said, how much it costs to put gas in their cars. They're not, you know, like that's, Appa- that's apparently that's not Af- apparently not Afghanistan, by the way, to our last few previous podcasts. I don't know if anyone out in real America here, I have not heard a single person bring up Afghanistan at all. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a complete cluster what happened, but if we're just trying to track this stuff in real time, yeah. how Howard, you have said it every podcast from the beginning, everything is about COVID. And it is. That is people are living that in their daily lives with their kids and with everything else. That is what is it, the rise of Delta, kids going back to school, but having all these issues, that is causing the president's dip. Uh, more than anything else in his approval rating. I think Afghanistan helped bring it down, but like amongst the general public, I don't think that's really top of mind for anyone. And COVID, I mean, the numbers, thank goodness, appear to be coming down. Yeah. Um, And will his rating tick up with that? Like, is uh, it'll just be interesting to see. I guess. I mean, don't we all just want to go back to, like, it's not even about him, but country you know he gets his approval rating ebbs and flows with how people feel about where the country is and i guess these waves come and go when it's it's a strange time because the waves coming down um hopefully um you know i think how how long does it take for people to start feeling good about going back into restaurants and office buildings. I mean, we're starting to, we're starting to do, to do it. Um, you know, we're all out and about and around town. It's, it's not <clears throat> the good old days of being walk, of being able to walk in and out of the U S Capitol or, um, are not there, but you know, the meetings are taking place. We're, we're getting together with clients and <sighs> I don't know. It's a strange time, strange time, but um, well, and, and, and Caitlin, parting comments. Parting comments. I think we have to stop setting these arbitrary deadlines that most of America oh doesn't God. understand. Why did we have to say yesterday that was the big day we had to pass the bipartisan infrastructure package? Let's keep working on it. Let's whip those votes. There's a lot of you know trade associations around town that that stand to, to the, whose members really stand to benefit from this. The American people stand to benefit from this. Let's stop setting these ridiculous arbitrary deadlines and just get good policy done and through. Towner and the dogs are applauding. Here, 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 here. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. Mark, we may pull him out of his hole. We'll see. Um, but at least the four of us will be back and we'll look forward to that and have a great week. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.